Welcome to another episode of the Arena Craft Podcast, a show dedicated exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena. My name is Arjuna, I'm one of your hosts. Our other host, fresh off commentating the Players Tour, among other wonderful skills that he has, it is the one and the only Covert Go Blue CGB. How are you today, my friend? Yo, I think I should be really clear... I'm not an official commentator for Wizards of the Coast. This was more of a pirate radio gorilla style, just fire up the stream, put on some people playing the players tour and talk about their match kind of event. So, uh, yeah, still, still not an official Wizards commentator yet. Don't know if, I don't know if that's ever in the cards, to be honest, but, uh, certainly just trying to share honestly, how much I love the players tour. It used to be that the finest thing that could happen on any weekend of the year, uh, finer than the Super Bowl, finer than anything else was if there was a pro tour and I could tune in and just chill out, watch some magic and hang out with my friends in uh, a Twitch chat, usually my own Twitch chat. I would host the show on my channel and we'd hang out in the chat and talk about what was happening. And it was like watching, it was like watching pro sports for us. Um, and just trying to share some of that love, some of that love for the game that really needs it right now, to be honest, because we've never gone through something like this, trying to do a player's tour completely online, trying to add some of that excitement uh, from the great commentators of the past that have inspired me so much. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. Like watching Magic coverage is just some of my favorite times ever. Um, I don't really watch sports ball or anything like that. And I don't really watch much TV. So the highest entertainment for me is being able to watch a high level tournament. And, you know, there's been much griping about this over the years and I won't really reprise it, but I really missed the GP coverage because it was used to be like almost every weekend you could tune over in. Over the watch. years. You said over the years. You realize it's only been about a year since they stopped doing that? <laughs> but you I realize mean, that? Oh my gosh. You know, April was a whole year unto itself. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. There was a time, though, every weekend you could usually find a GP or an SCG Tour event, watch your favorite format, watch high-level magic, really get into it. It was a part of my weekend routine that I haven't gotten back. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, really miss it. Yeah, it was it was such a good time, and uh, I, a lot of people miss it. And so, yeah, I think it's cool that we get you know an opportunity to do whatever amount of it we can. Uh, at the moment. So yeah, I love it. Well, okay. So cut to today's agenda. We are going to spend a hundred percent or I guess 98% of our time now. We already failed. Yeah, we are, we already <laughs> failed the mandate, but <laughs> the, the idea is that we're going to spend some of our time, most of our time talking about more M21 spoilers. And so there's a huge huge torrent of them that we're going to go through today we're probably not going to cover all of the ones that have been spoiled but you know we'll we'll do our darndest to get as close as we can and we're basically going to pick up where we left off last time so cgb are you ready to dive into i am ready new cards baby new, new cards, cards baby let's do this 
I'm going to start in, in good fashion by just skipping the bottom row on the screen here, unless there's anything you want to talk about there. Maze Mind Tome. Okay, go ahead and read it for us, CDB. Maze Mind Tome is two-mana artifact rare. Put a page counter on Maze Mind Tome by tapping it. Scry one. Two in a tap, put a page counter on Maze Mind Tome and draw a card. When there are four or more page counters on Maze Mind Tome, exile it if you do gain for life all right so this reminds me a little bit of treasure map that's the card that it it brings brings up for me a little bit it reminds everybody of treasure map mostly because there it says scry and draw a card on it and it's a two mana artifact so it definitely has some of those things in common but it's not treasure map it's kind of a little better now treasure map when it flipped made three treasure tokens which gave you a burst of mana in the mid game which was one of the highlights of treasure map especially the only times it was competitive this doesn't do that but it actually it actually does give you mana that treasure map didn't and what i mean by that is you had to tap one mana to tap the treasure map to draw to scry and this card does not require that so in a way it's three less mana than treasure map. So you get the three mana in a different way. You get the scries without having to pay mana for them. So any deck that wants, that is short of two drops, but needs to hit its lands and a certain combination of cards to have a good mid game, this is a very good addition. Think about it. On turn one, you can play it. You can tap it to scry if you need uh, a land or two. if you need a spell, but you put that stop on your upkeep, you untap it and you scry again. Yeah. So you can get two scries to look for that crucial land drop or that crucial three drop, whichever you need more. Yeah. And if you draw this later in the game, you can go ahead and put some counters on it and draw some cards instead when mana isn't as crucial as it is early, when you just don't have the mana to spare. And the four life means it's not an absolute trash fire against aggro because it can rebuild you a little bit, whereas normally it would be a tempo black hole. So uh, I actually like this card. I think that it's going to find homes. It's awesome. better than I thought it was the first time I read it. Yeah, you, you talked me into it, actually. I was thinking of it as a bit of a snoozer, but I think you're right. I mean, Treasure Map saw play, um, and yeah, this prawn probably will as well. Especially, I don't know, I'm, I'm getting greedy here now, but like, if you have a way to recur from the graveyard or you know stuff like that, then this card can get very annoying over the course of a long game. I, I, I really don't know if that's necessary, but I will say this. Um, Teferi Time Raveler bouncing this from the opponent's side isn't a very good play, yeah. and your Teferi can bounce this if you want more action from it. Exactly. Yeah, actually, that's true. You can't get it back from the graveyard if you exile it, right? So <laughs> that's a good point. But yeah, replaying it, blinking it with the Orion, stuff like that. There's, there's a lot of things you can do with this card. So yeah, okay, you talked me into it. Don't sleep on Maze Mind tome all right uh let's move on to our next card here i'm gonna skip over this waker of waves unless you're interested in that card all right skip but rewind is an interesting card that deserves some attention so rewind two blue blue instant counter target spell untap up to four lands so the initial read on this card is omg a free counter spell who wouldn't want that so uh so yes and no right rewind is indeed a free counter spell if you're playing against decks that aren't trying to interact with your spells so if your opponent is just playing some kind of mono black aggro deck or something like that then rewind can actually be a pretty 
potent card to play against them. But let's say someone actually tries to counter your rewind, then you're in you're in a hot mess of trouble because you've just spent four mana on your counter spell. So I'm trying to think about which formats rewind sees more play in. Is this like a commander counter spell, or or um, uh, what am I what am I thinking about this? Because this is a pretty potent counter spell somewhere, isn't it? Dude, you're asking me about commander playability. <laughs> it's me. It's CGB. I play standard. I play standard all he, day, every day. He doesn't There's even no commander know what that on arena. format is. <laughs> I don't know what that is. I don't play that non-arena format. I would, play, I would play Rewind and Brawl, if that's what you're asking. Okay. Um, but yeah. I don't think this is going to sniff standard in yeah. a world of Teferi, Mystical, Dispute, Um some of those type of things. Mystical Dispute in particular is going to keep Rewind from mattering at least for the next three months. Yeah, yeah. However, look out for this on the ladder. Like, there's going to be a bunch of audacious flash decks that just freaking jam Rewind and try to get there, and it's going to end up being pretty annoying, I think. <laughs> so, yeah. What's better? What is better? Untapping your lands or getting a 3-2 body? Because this is the same cost as the Lizard Wizard Frilled Mystic. Well, hold on. I think the same cost is a stretch there. I mean, I don't know how many Frilled Mystics you've tried to cast, but having having like untapped blue, blue, green, green on turn four isn't, you know, it's not the easiest mandate. Mm, just something to think about. It is. It is. I, I totally agree. So yeah. Ass. You- this is ass. <laughs> ass. All right. Thumbs down. Yeah, rewind. Probably don't play it. All right. Probably don't play it. Let's move along here. Um, fungal rebirth. Uh, I don't know if I need to talk about this. What do you think? I hadn't read this card before. It's a weird card. Um, I let's just tackle it quickly. All right. Two and a green instant. Return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. If a creature died this turn, create two one one green sapling creature tokens. So ah. Uh, you know, this card could see some play in in a very very particular deck. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't totally rule it out. They blow up your oven. You respond by sacrificing Cauldron Familiar. You cast Fungal Rebirth. You return the oven to your hand. You create two one ones, and the cat ovening continues. Yes, yeah, so some I, I could see yeah. decks caring about this, and the two one ones. Uh, you know, this is like raise the alarm plus one mana, right? So for one mana, you get a permanent card back. So if you're in in the market for raise the alarm ish effects for any number of reasons, this could actually be a good card. I guess we'll see. I'm. I guess the one pretty interesting part is like you can down tick your planeswalker and have it die, and then get it back and get tokens to protect it in the future, but still three mana. Nah. Yeah. I don't think so. I don't think it's enough tempo on its own. Right on. Well, I think this next card's gonna see play CGB. So why don't you take us through seasoned Hollow Blade? Seasoned Hollow Blade is one and a white three one human warrior at uncommon. And it has an ability. Discard a card, tap Seasoned Hollowblade, it gains Indestructible until end of turn. So do you think that Adanto Vanguard is returning? I mean, I think this card's probably worse than Adanto Vanguard, but you've got to watch out for cards like this. What do you think? This card is significantly worse than Adanto Vanguard mm-hmm. and still significantly better than most white two drops that we have to play. <laughs> Good way of putting it. Yeah, it, it's it's both of the things you mentioned, and that's still good enough on its own for standard. Um, it is a human 
So unlike a Danto Vanguard, it doesn't trigger Winota, mm. which is still legal and standard. Good call. So could be a thing, but it does uh, get buffed by General Kudro mm. or for some beatings. Um, yeah, humans. This is if humans is going to get more aggressive. Like everybody tried to make Hero Precinct one a thing. That card's not a thing. One one tokens don't matter. Two mana two twos are trash. But this card is not trash. No. And so so here's the thing about <clears throat> Seasoned Hallowblade is that the controller gets to decide whether trading a random card in their hand is worth trading for whatever it is that you're using to try to kill Seasoned Hallowblade, right? So if you're to, to be clear, it's not a random card. You do get to choose. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. So, you know, you can like your opponent casts shock on Seasoned Hallowblade and you just look at your hand and you say, is discarding this extra planes in my hand worth trading for their shock and keeping my Seasoned Hallowblade? And if the answer is yes, then you get to make that choice. So, and you have to remember like, you can just let Hallowblade die. You know, I think this is something that people forgot about Adanto Vanguard. Like, you don't <laughs> you don't have to pay the cost. Like, you can just let the guy die. It's fine, you know? No, no, no. That if, No, no, no. If you let your Adanto Vanguard die, that is surrender and it will not be tolerated <laughs> on stream. So just ask a, any Twitch chat. This is not a real option. It's, it's a flagrant display of weakness, to be sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Zero dominance. Zero dominance asserted if you let Adanto die. <laughs> okay, well, Seasoned Hallowblade, keep an eye out for it. You'll almost certainly see it getting played somewhere in Standard at some point. Uh, CGB, why don't you take us into the next card that interests you here, CGB? So, I want to get your opinion on See the Truth, yes. one in a blue. Look at the top three cards of your library. I read the last one. You owe me two. Okay. Look at the top three cards of your library. Put one into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library. This is so far complete potato vanilla. Nah. Totally. But if this spell was cast from anywhere other than your hand, put each of those cards into your hand instead. Oh, baby. What a line of text. What does this mean? How, how did, what the hell is going on? Arjuna, help me. Okay, the, the first thing that came into my mind when you read this card was, like, your face behind, like, the, the math numbers meme, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that meme has a name, but we all know what I'm talking about. So, this is a card which you read it, and, and the first thought is, all right, how do we break this, right? Because it's basically Ancestral Recall if, I mean, okay, not quite as good, but it's, it's almost Ancestral Recall. If you can exploit the second line of text. So let's see. How are we cheating this into play? Um, you know, we can do it with Golos. We can do it with... What What are some of the other... I'm trying to think of spells we have in standard that say... I like, your, I like that you go straight to Golos. <laughs> That's just... Let's pay seven mana. To, hey. avoid, to, to get a two mana draw through but, but, but you get other spells as well cgb it's glorious. yeah you get three see the truths it's draw oh, nine. Oh, hold on hold on all right we got that so um there's actually a number of cards or at least one card in this set which say like exile from the top of your library you may play that spell until end of turn i believe that that gets you the three cards right so that is Chandra yes. is one of them. I don't know if we've talked about that card yet. We haven't. Actually, I don't um, think we so have. It, it'll so be we'll coming up it. soon, so we'll talk about it. But I actually think there are a couple of other uh, spells, uh, a couple of other cards in Standard that also have a similar text, like Exile the Top, You May Cast. You ready? I got you. 
Yeah. Escape to the Wilds. Oh, baby. I, I love it. Oh, Aaron Girdle is going to be all over this card. Wallace's <laughs> Citadel. Ooh, Citadel. All right. Yep. You're talking my language. Yep. That's it. That's that's two. Um, Experimental Frenzy. I doubt that's going to be it. That's a number, right? <laughs> Light up the stage. Oh, snap. Light up the stage. That's the hottest one you mentioned yet. Yep. Uh, so, I mean, there is stuff. Let's yeah. just say there's options. I also want to point something out about this card because I think people are going to miss that at least for a minute. But as soon as it comes up, they're going to be like, oh, um, this is not draw three. This no. is look at the top three and put them into your hand. Right. This dodge that, is an asset. Exactly. Yeah. And underworld dreams if you're really niche on these kind of things but um it also doesn't trigger like if you would draw card effects like dream trawler for example so yeah uh, things like that to just consider this is look at cards put them into your hand not draw cards yeah my final thought is that you you don't ever want to play this card in the same deck as what's that rakdos card which is like exile the top six you get five and your opponent gets one Allure of the Unknown. Yeah, yeah. Don't, but, um, don't put this in your Allure of the Unknown deck. <laughs> that did make me think that Theater of Horrors is another option. Oh, though. Theater of Horrors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. The, look, this card's it's going to show up somewhere. People are going to be trying to put it in all kinds of random decks. I just would be surprised if this weren't. Um, I'm, I'm honestly a little bit worried about it. This just has the text could be incredibly broken written on it. So, Really? I think so. I think it's too much setup. Do you think so? Well, here's yeah, the thing. Yeah, yeah. And like, okay, too much setup, you say, right? But like some mm-hmm. of these cards, like, like okay, the new Chandra and Light Up the Stage could easily see play in the same deck, right? Sure they could. And Red and Blue, you know, it's it's kind of a good old combo. So I, I, I'm, I'm a little worried about it. I'm not like capital W worried about it, but I'm a little worried about it. I have no concerns. Okay, no concerns. Like, that's how far apart we are on this one. I, I think that this is going to be a niche, jank-ish card, unless there is something else revealed. I think that asking to damage the opponent, cast light at the stage, and exile this, and then play it, is too much. I, I think that that's a lot of tempo to put stuff in your hand in a format that's so far about the battlefield. I could be wrong. This card has more potential than many things in the set but i'm still not concerned about it this smells to me like too much setup too little payoff well and it being a sorcery is a massive strike against it too like it's like it's way worse than anticipate on the front side right so if you're not getting the backside, it's really not a super impressive card although it still digs three you know so Still not a bad turn to play if if you are okay with the tempo. All right, let's keep on going here. So I'll read this next card. I think this card's interesting. Selfless Savior. This is a one white mana creature dog. One one. Sacrifice Selfless Savior. Another target creature you control. Gains indestructible until end of turn. This card reminds me of Dauntless Bodyguard. Now, um, it's better than Dauntless Bodyguard in that you get to choose whichever creature you protect. It is worse than Dauntless Bodyguard in that it is only a 1-1 instead of a 2-1. But I think that these Selfless Spirit type effects can still be pretty strong as the Alcid of Life's Bounty has shown us. So uh, what do you think about Selfless Savior? I want you to consider that 
Loris was going to be a companion, and they were going to print this card. <laughs> yes. I what? <laughs> like Luris plus Alcide Life's Bounty has proven good enough, you know. Yeah. But that one mana yeah. that you had to activate it was always a bit of a a pressure point. So they were like, you know what? You know what's better than having to pay one mana? Getting the effect Just for freaking free. Zero. For Gotta free. This card is good. Yeah. Yeah, this card, either whether it's an aggro deck or a sacrifice deck, this card is good. And it scares me a little because I believe we talked about the Puppy Lord yeah, last week, right? And I said that that card, to me, was a sign that dogs won't be that good because it was a, a lord that's better than your typical lord, you know, with that attack ability. And now I look at this card and it's like, well, you can't kill the doggy lord, Outside of combat, and you can't kill it in combat. You're just never going to kill the puppy baby, the puppy lord. It's just not happening. No. And this card is, I mean, this card is Aristocrats or White Aggro playable, and maybe something else that we haven't thought about. Uh, Aristocrats also slang for Black White Sacrifice, for those of you out there who are like, what the heck did he just say? Yeah, it's a um, reference from like 1783. So, you know, there you yeah, go. <laughs> a, a little bit of a boomer magic <laughs> reference. But this card is really good and yeah. uh, honestly bothers me a little. And it's probably a good reason to get Luris into your main deck if you weren't already trying it. Mm. Not a lot of people are trying that. But this card plus Luris is kind of insane. It's basically your Luris starts getting you a card from the graveyard every turn your white aggro or sacrifice deck never runs out of gas and it's a free sacrifice at any point so it triggers just anything that says dies for the rest of our spoilers if it says when a creature dies we got to remember we have free sacrifices sitting around from a self that are only one mana that's a very low investment cost compared to like a woe strider yeah so, totally uh, yeah cards good yeah cards good and you're right it being a doge is a thing to keep an eye on like if you're if you're playing any dog deck like chuck this thing in there and it could actually what end a up thing to say being <laughs> could end up being a, a pretty big overperformer. um all right uh, i want to talk about faith's fetters um do you want to read this card for us cgb okay if you're gonna make me this is a boomer card. Just putting it out there. Faith's Fetters. Three and a white enchantment aura. Uncommon. Enchant permanent. When Faith's Fetters enters the battlefield, you gain four life. Enchanted permanent can't attack or block, and its activated abilities can't be activated unless they are mana abilities. Okay. So, are you not a buyer on this card? the card's not bad and it will always be useful i don't think that four mana is an appropriate price for this card in current conditions so do you think that paying one colorless extra to add for life to our oblivion ring effect which it's not quite an oblivion ring but but you know effectively the same thing do you think that that is too much of a tax yeah uh i do i i don't think you can really pay four mana for this effect currently um just it seems like it, it doesn't read right to me now maybe i'm wrong maybe you can get one or two of these into a deck i'm incredibly concerned that teferi will just bounce it anyway and we go on with life or that something else just blows it up generally i avoid banishing light effects um anything that can be hit by elspeth conquers death 
um, and then give the opponent back their card, I avoid that. Deputy of Detention, Banishing Light, these things are no-nos for me in the format, and Eighth's Fetters joins the list. So just one final thing I want to point out about this is that if your opponent removes this card, um, they won't get an ETB effect off the thing. So that is true. That's just that's something to consider. If you are thinking about putting an O-ring in your deck, like maybe in your sideboard for a particular problematic permanent, this is, for example, much, much worse than Banishing Light if you're trying to take care of your opponent's jellyfish, for example, opponent's crisis. However, it's substantially better if you're trying to take care of basically anything that has an ETB effect. Like, this is a much better thing to cast on your opponent's Planeswalker, for example. So I think that, um, Indeed. you know, Teferi, that's that's kind of a good call there. Although, although it does leave the passive ability. So anyway, just, you know, I think we've said enough on this card, but it... Well, I... Yeah, I want to go on record of uh, just just to be clear. I'm not saying I won't Faith's fetters a cat oven in the next three months. I'm just <laughs> saying we. I'm saying we deserve better. Okay, all right. You're saying this could cost cost three mana, is what you're saying. Uh, how yeah. about okay? If it was one white white, what would you think? Then it would be very good. Yeah, like very good. Yeah. Even if it was three life, you know, if it was yeah. three life instead of four, I think that would be a very good card. I think this is just too much mana just a little bit much mana all right which probably applies to this next card as well yes okay thank goodness it's a freaking questing beast (laughs) elder questing beast is a strong language my friend (laughs) this is strong language all right elder gargaroth three green green mythic creature beast six six and uh has vigilance reach and trample yes because reach and trample are just inseparable at this point they are friends for life you will never see them separately ever again on any magic card whenever elder gargaroth attacks or blocks choose one either you create a three three green beast creature token or you gain three life or you draw a card so cgb i'm hoping that you'll help to explain to us briefly why this card's not going to see much play in standard it shouldn't be very complicated Let's let's uh, just lay this out. It's got all this text, yeah, but you don't get any of it when you play the card. You Correct. only get this if it attacks or blocks. So, would you like it to be bounced by Teferi? Would you like it to get hit by Elspeth Conqueror's death? Would you like just Heartless Act or any other other removal spell to kill it? Because all these things will keep you from getting any of that beautiful text box in any meaningful way. And because of that, this card may as well not have that text box most of the time. You need a turn to untap with it. This card is, it's almost egregious because when you compare it to Uro, Uro gives you all this (laughs) (laughs) and more and more. I'd rather have a land than a 3-3 beast a lot of the time, especially in current standard. Yeah. You know, get a land onto the a land ahead on the battlefield. And Uro gives you this, and then it gives it to you again. And again, when you play it, for three mana. Yeah. I, I just can't. I can't. It makes me sad. Here's the thing as well. Like, in what world in which you're attacking with a 6-6, six, six, are you, like, super stoked to be getting a 3-3 three, three out of it? You know? It's like, <laughs> fine. It's fine, right? But, like, eh, probably not, right? So... 
Yeah, I, I don't know. This card is just, it's lacking like one important line of text, whether it would be haste, whether it would be when it enters the battlefield, you get to choose one of these things, right? Like there are just, there are so many ways you could take this card and make it instantly playable and standard. And it's just, it's just not. So I want the, I want the girl spellbreaker text to be a keyword, the hexproof on your turn. Oh, I want there the you keyword go. for that. Because this card would be, like, that would allow cards like this to create tempo. The opponent can't deal with it on their turn. They have to deal with it on their own turn, which that takes up their mana. It doesn't let them kind of forward their game plan. That's a good point. Yep, that's a really good point. That would be interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, probably not going to see this outside of, I don't know, if you have some kind of haste tribal, like, Rhythm of the Wild deck, then maybe. But otherwise, this probably... There's going to need to be a theme or another card in your deck that makes this playable because it's pretty much not on its own. Vivian, champion of the wild, the three mana Vivian, flash it in. There that's, you go. That's, yep. that's it. Yep, there we you go. It. Yep. We, we, we well, broke the If meta. you're trying to do some kind of footfall crater nonsense or whatever, but anyway. Why don't you, CGB, why don't you read Chandra Heart of Fire for us? Chandra Heart of Fire is hot. It see is, what I did there? It is. Okay. All that it was promised to be. It's a, it's a good joke. Anyway, three red, red, legendary planeswalker mythic. This is a book. So it enters with five loyalty. Plus one, discard your hand, then exile the top three cards of your library until end of turn. You may play cards exiled this way. Plus one, two damage to any target. Minus nine. Remember, enters on five and has two plus ones. So minus nine is like three turns of effort. Search your graveyard and library for any number of red instant and or sorcery cards. Exile them, then shuffle your library. You may cast them this turn. Add six red mana to your mana pool. So is this card hot or is it not? What do you think, CGB? When I first read the card, I was underwhelmed. It sounded interesting the more i thought about it the better i thought it was but then there's actually a lot of kind of strange awkward things with the card like when you plus it you have to discard your hand but then you exile the cards so if you have any cards that rely on cards in your hand like ox of Aganis, or like some ways that you're trying to interact with things it's just strange um tormenting voice cathartic reunion is one i really wanted to play with this mm. um for both flavor and comboy red reasons <laughs> cathartic reunion one of my favorite red cards but those cards aren't in your hand you know what I mean? They're exiled, so you can't cast a cathartic reunion that you hit Ashandra Heart of Fire. It's, However, you have no hand. I do want to point out though that if you're playing a deck built around discarding cards, then that plus one discard your hand might actually be a beneficial ability. So But that that's also my point though. If you hit those cards in your deck that rely on you discarding them with the exile, you can't discard them. Yeah. So that's exactly the point I'm trying to make. While it sounds kind of like a, a benefit, it and you, then you when you try to exploit it, you find out that all that happens is you end up plussing your Chandra, you get the discard benefit, but then you hit these cards that you also want to discard and you can't. 
they're exiled. Yeah, I mean that it's, that it's is tense. just tension. A, it's a general challenge, though, of running cathartic reunions, right? I mean, cathartic re- you have that problem just on your own running cathartic reunions. So you have to be prepared to have that card be a dead card in your deck if you're going to run it in your deck. You know, so I, I don't. Particularly- no, I, I, I don't. I, I, I don't prepare for this. I only prepare for drawing three cards every time. Come on, <laughs> every knock it time. Off. No, uh, this card is. This card is interesting it combos with cards that aren't good enough like i could talk about real and several cards that Mm. aren't good enough Mm -hmm. that i don't think this card fixes that Mm -hmm. to be honest i don't try to resolve a five mana sorcery speed card to make my three mana do nothing on its own good um i i feel like this card's hope is that the plus one turns out to be relevant if you can drop this and kill a planeswalker or if you can drop this and kill a relevant card then Chandra Heart of Fire is a pretty good card. Uh, and it does apply pressure with the plus one if you're drawing good stuff, you know, when you're on empty, when you're running low on things to do. But I don't see this in a lot of the decks that are, exist right now. This is something different. I can't think of a deck I would put this in right now. It would have to make its own. I, I think you're right about that. And M21 does seem to be... There's some other cards it's pushing that are very kind of like burn-centric. Um, Chandra is definitely getting to toss around a lot of fire in this set. So um, I, I totally agree. It doesn't immediately leap off the page as like insta-playable the way like Chandra Torch of Defiance did, for example. But this card is definitely powerful enough to get there. So doesn't jump into any existing decks, but this could be like a, it definitely could be a role player in some upcoming archetypes. And it has, it has the goods, you know what I mean? It has the goods. So I'm going to be keeping an eye on this. I do think that that, I mean, Exile 3 cards, you may play them until end of turn. It's a very powerful ability, especially like if you're playing a burn deck, which is looking to empty its hand by the time it's able to cast this anyway. Like, you know, like uh, it's a little slow, right? So that's the problem with a card like this. But I remember not too long ago in Standard, we were looking at burn decks that would have been stoked to play this. Now, admittedly, that was before Oro was printed. That was before, you know, every every cat and dog that entered the battlefield gained you three life or whatever. But anyway, I'm, I'm interested in this card, so I'm going to keep an eye on it. In your opinion, better than or worse than Experimental Frenzy? Oh, I I would say better. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, you know, Experimental Frenzy had its place, but um, it could really end up being a prison. And I think, like, you know, it's the current format's pretty hostile to Experimental Frenzy. Like, if it gets gem raided, gem raided, um, if it gets to ferried, there's just a lot of things that can, you can run afoul with that card. It also, you know, suffers from the, the lands on top. Whereas Chandra kind of dodges that where you just you just pick three, you know, you just get three and you get to see what they are. Definitely worse in some cases, but yeah, I would I would rather play Chandra personally. Okay. Do you want to talk about Chandra's incinerator? A little. <laughs> okay, let, let's cover this one briefly. It's an aggressive red card. I, I, I fear these things. <laughs> Nemesis. That's what I see. All right. So why don't you read this one for us? This is five in a red, six, six elemental rare. This spell costs X less to cast, where X is the total amount of non-combat damage dealt to your opponent this turn. 
Trample. Whenever a source you control deals non-combat damage to an opponent, the incinerator deals that much damage to target creature or planeswalker that player controls. You know, I was feeling a little more possibility for this card the first time I read it, but looking at it again, I'm actually less impressed with it. Really? Yeah, I mean, okay. So here's the thing. This definitely wants to go in a burn deck, right? Like, you definitely want to be doming your opponent to play this card. It suffers from the Gargaroth problem, right? Where it doesn't actually get you anything when you cast it. And the chances of you being able to get additional damage out of it the turn you play it are probably relatively slim, right? Like, who has the mana to damage the opponent in substantial amount and then drop this for reduced amount and then like cast another spell that does more damage maybe maybe you can like construct as a kind of a a curve which enables you to do that but probably not you know and then so like you, you know let's say you dome your opponent for three and then you drop this for four mana or three mana or whatever and you say go and then your opponent can deal with it right so i don't know the more i think about it like this seems to be a card that takes a lot of setup to be good. Eh, I don't know. What do, you, what do you think? I think this card is bad if your plan is to dome the opponent, then cast it, and hope that nothing happens to it for a turn, the situation that you laid out. Mm-hmm. The reason I think this is better than I thought it was in the beginning is because that's not the deck I think smart people will play. I think the deck that people are going to play with this card is going to involve Scorch Spitter cavalcade of calamity footlight fiend like these these things that get non-combat damage through but are creatures right because when you're a low to the ground creature deck when you're applying pressure with creatures what do you fear the most things that sweep your small creatures you go wide and then they kill your stuff you go wide and they clarion you. You go wide and they ritual of soot you if you get a chandra's incinerator down before that happens they have not solved the problem. There is a 6-6 six, six freaking trample that you might have played for like three mana. I, I mean, that's a lot. That's huge. A lot of decks that give Cavalcade of Calamity style decks fits don't have anything in their deck that deals well with a 6-6 six, six trample. Not even close. Uh, this is... This is kind of Red's rotting Regisaur. It's the curveball <laughs> that's too big for them to deal with. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's and a it good has way more text. Putting it. it has more text. It lets you dome the opponent and kill their creature with the same spell as if getting a 6 6 trample wasn't enough payoff. So I think that the Cavalcade deck and this card are freaking awesome. Think about it. Turn one, you can play like a Footlife. You can play like a Scorch Spitter. Turn two, a Footlight Fiend, and I don't know, Fervent Champion, some other 1-1. And on turn three, you can attack with your Scorch Spitter. That do- that's a trigger. You can sacrifice your Footlight Fiend to a Heartfire. That's one, two, three, four, and then Footlight Fiend, one to the dome, five. And that's one mana Incinerator on turn three. And your opponent took like six damage, seven damage that turn already. Like... Like, like, boom, what, what, what have you got? You're going to Teferi it? Yeah, yeah, they're going to Teferi it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm digging what you're putting down. I just think like they're kind of perverse incentives, right? Like the, 
So the Cavalcade deck is already really susceptible to disruption. Like, it's a deck that's very, very strong, but it's also a deck that's fairly easy to kind of deny what they're trying to do. And when you do deny them, they're already really, really bad, right? So do you want, like, an additional cold fish that you can draw in your deck, which is also going to be really, really bad? Here's the other thing, like, when are you ever going to hard cast this in this deck? Never, right? So, like... Then then don't hard cast it. Come well, on. I mean... I don't okay, hard cast Embercleave like, either, bro. I, 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 mean, I, I am not an Embercleave hard caster. Well. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, everything's great when you get to, you know, do your, your little thing, right? But, like, as soon as your opponent's, like, casting Teferi or, like, deafening clarioning you on your turn, you know, stuff like that, like, it's... it's you are so- going to die to this card in week one. I promise you that. Oh, I, I don't doubt it, CGB. I abs- I mean, every red mage on Arena is going to be jamming this and seeing how they can get it out. So I, I don't doubt it. But am I going to be dying to this on week four? That's that's what I'm wondering about. <laughs> Good card, though. Like, this this is cool. Like, this is the kind of card that, like, makes you think. It makes you work for it. Maybe you get there, you know? I mean... Putting an Ember Cleave on this is certainly going to be game over, so that's pretty fun. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> We're getting chills over here. All right. I want to talk about Revitalize. This is a reprint. This card saw plenty of play last time it was in Standard. I anticipate it's going to see play this Standard as well. One and a white instant. You gain three life. Draw a card. Do you think that this card is better or worse than the last time we played it? Much worse. I agree. I agree it's worse. So why is it worse? Well, if you compare it to the two-mana investment of a Birth of Melitus, you get an 0-4 wall, two life, and a planes from that two-mana investment. This two-mana investment, you get a random card off the top of your library, and three life. It's not a very good comparison. Compared to Brazen Borrower, you take something away from your opponent's board. Any permanent, they have to play that permanent again, and you have a 3-1 just waiting to come down and do something later in the game. Uh, or Bone Crusher Giant if you run red. Uh, all these cards are dramatically better than Revitalize. I I think you're right. But, you know, to me, one of the main reasons I think this card's not going to be as good is just that Draw Go is not what it used to be, right? So, like, back when Revitalize was in Standard, you could do something like um, play Teferi Hero of Dominaria, which is actually a relevant card in that format. I don't know that it would be a relevant card in our current standard format. And you could untap two lands, and then you could leave up a counter spell and revitalize, right? And so when you're leaving up mana to interact with your opponent, a card like Revitalize is, is very good because... I, I, I think you're significantly overhyping ha- that the amount of play Revitalize saw in the last format. It was pretty close to zero. It wasn't zero, no, but it was close. that's not true. Yes, it is. It was never part of a significant list. There was, I, I, I don't agree. I think there was plenty of revitalizing going on in standard. I, I'm not going to say it was, I mean, it wasn't like growth spiral level of play or something like that, but I, I think it was definitely a role player. I mean, I agree. I I really don't think that this card is going to be as good in this format. However, there are like a bunch of these life gainy decks. So there's a lot of cards that care about you gaining three or more life in a turn. And maybe it'll just end up being a limited only card. But uh, I'm going to keep an eye on this one. That is the wild card. We'll we'll get to it later. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. We'll see. But uh, 
yeah, there are some cards that require exactly three life a turn for a benefit, and they don't look like they are complete garbage. So that's, no. that's the wild card of it, this. It's possible. It's possible. All right, let's talk about Pestilent Haze. I think this card's interesting. Do you want to read it for us? This is a one black black sorcery that uncommon. Choose one. All creatures get minus two, minus two until end of turn, or remove two loyalty counters from each planeswalker. I mean, they're divergent effects, right? You probably bring this out of your sideboard. I'm trying to think about what card, what deck this would specifically hose. I actually think maybe it's too, maybe it being a sorcery rules it out, but this actually might not be bad against like a Luka deck, right? Like the Jeskai Luka decks of yore might have had a problem with this card. Maybe not. I think this card is nothing. I, I think that if it were both, it, you know, it that's be true. A significant if you got both card. of them, it would be sweet. If it were both, it would be a significant card. I think at current rate, it's hard enough to play Cry of the Canarium unless things line up perfectly. Like, where are you playing this where you're trying to hit Planeswalkers that have two loyalty or less where you couldn't hit them another way? If you are talking about a Planeswalker with one loyalty, play a Legion Warboss and kill it. You get a 2-2 and a 1-1 left over. It's... S- so here, here's an interesting thing, though. I have noticed that there's this particular problem when you're playing like Sultai Control decks, for example, right? Where your opponent resolves a Narset or your opponent resolves a Teferi, and you're like... There's another solution to that in this set that's a hundred times better. Okay, well, I'm excited to get to that. Yeah, I'm excited to get to that. But I, I think that like it's cool that you have a card in your deck, which is like okay, yeah, this card's, like, playable against aggro. Maybe it's not bonkers, but it's playable against aggro. And if I draw it against my, like, Narset 3 to Fairy 3 opponent, I might actually be able to take care of the problematic Planeswalker that I was otherwise struggling with. So I think that's at least worth considering, you know? I mean, On week one, maybe, but as soon as somebody actually considers that this card exists, as soon as somebody actually uses it, they don't put their planeswalkers in range where that where it matters yeah i i agree with that but it places a constraint on your opponent like they maybe get they they don't get to draw a card out of that teferi then or they don't get <laughs> their to... constraint is that their card that completely wrecks you stays on the battlefield and they use it a little slow <laughs> fair enough fair enough so maybe maybe not good enough for standard why don't you read the next card on this list that interests you Sure, I would like to read Village Rights because yeah. I do think this is a card. One black instant at it's a common. As an additional cost to cast a spell, sacrifice a creature, draw two cards. Uh this is the cheapest we've seen a one mana sacrifice a thing, draw two. And there are so many good things to sacrifice. There are decks built around sacrificing things. So uh this is a good card. Draw two cards is nice. Like that, it's not a joke. And it's instant speed. You can do it in response to a removal spell. It's, oh, claim the firstborn. You can, on turn two, claim their Steamkin or Priest of Forgotten Gods and sack it for two cards. Like that's great, right? It's, yeah, in any sacrifice deck, this, I, it's hard for me to not imagine this is like a, at least a two of, right? The yes. only reason. Agreed. The only reason you wouldn't run this in your sack deck is if it's diluting your creature count too much. But otherwise, like you'd like you'd run this as a four of in any deck if you didn't have to worry about you know hitting your creature count. So uh, yeah, it's super 
super good. The instant is what makes this card amazing. Play it in response to your opponent's removal. There's just so much you can do with this card. So yeah, fantastic. Gonna see play. Excellent card. Okay, let's talk about Massacre Worm. Three black, black, black. Mythic creature and 6-5. When it ETBs, creatures your opponent's control get minus two, minus two until end of turn. Whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, that player loses two life. Have we moved on from cards like this being good? Yeah. Yeah. The the token, but, but, we're probably about to talk about a card that might try to bring back go super wide effects. And super wide decks are reasonably insulated from priests of the forgotten gods but if you can imagine on turn four priest activates and it's like okay i sacrifice one of my 10 one one tokens but then they use the mana to play this mm, okay so we'll see yeah but, i ramping, mean that ramping yeah. it out is compelling for sure that's the main thing it also says whenever a creature an opponent controls dies they lose two life that dramatically quickens a clock but I do think that if we're talking about this card being played, it's like one or two sideboard at the most. I just don't think it's a main. It's it's not a it's it's right in the bench. You know, it was a star back <laughs> in the day. It was it was out there. You know, it wasn't always Michael Jordan, but it was it was a good Scotty Pippen. It was a good Dennis Rodman. And now it's at the end of the bench being like, coach, do you need me to just go foul somebody? Do you need me to foul Shaq in the clutch? basketball references i'll stop i know i'm sorry <laughs> but but i think i think you nailed it in that like like against a deck that this matters about the card you really want to be drawing is cry of the carnarium right um because you're not going to live to cast this unless you have some substantial way of getting it out so i i think that priest is an inspired choice here however priest do you want to be running priest in your deck when your opponent is is making a zillion tokens right like like if you draw your priest and you never draw your massacre worm then that's just a disaster so yeah hard for me to imagine this seeing play to be honest but um mm -hmm. yeah it's a powerful card let's talk about basri cat so this is a uh one white white legendary planeswalker basri mythic Three loyalty, so three mana, three loyalty, white planeswalker. Plus one, put a plus one, plus one counter on up to one target creature. It gains indestructible until end of turn. Minus two, whenever one or more non-token creatures attack this turn, create that many one, one white soldier creature tokens that are tapped and attacking. So that takes it down to one loyalty if you do that immediately. And then minus six, you get an emblem with at the beginning of combat on your upkeep, create a one, one white soldier creature token, then put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control <sighs> okay is this like the white weenie aggro planeswalker we were waiting for i'm a little bit i'm like lower on it than i first when i first read it i was like oh that's pretty good that might enable some some kind of white weenie strategies it definitely seems like they're trying to get this kind of go wide plus one plus one countery thing going on in the set i just don't like i don't know that this is the droid we were looking for to be honest so at three mana, there is a Planeswalker that's still legal and standard, but it's not played anymore. But it was at one time considered the most powerful card in standard, or at least among them. And that is Soren, three mana Soren, the one that interacts with vampires. Now, yes. this card is very similar to Soren. Soren would plus to enhance a vampire. 
Soren would minus to put a vampire from the hand onto the battlefield to generate effect. Ket, Mr. Ket here, uh, minuses to put a whole bunch of attacking creatures on the battlefield in a way a little bit better than Soren sometimes. Uh, the best thing Soren did, of course, was play Champion of Dusk, which put more cards in your hand. Generally speaking right now, threats on the battlefield are better than cards in the hand. Generally speaking. So this card has some similarities to a very powerful Planeswalker that for a little while was very key in the best aggressive deck that Standard had, the Vampire deck. And I don't think it should be underestimated, but it should almost be read like a Planeswalker with one ability, and it's the minus two ability. Because if you can't make the minus two matter, the card is very mediocre. Um, Very, very mediocre. I like that the plus one, plus one counter is permanent, and there's probably something to be said for making something indestructible. There might be some creatures that you wouldn't normally be able to attack with freely that you can. But if there's a go-wide strategy, and if white is going to be aggressive, this card on three, I mean, this could create some busted draws. Like, I, I mean, there's undoubtedly some like unstoppable, terrifying things that your opponent could do. Uh, I mean, that you could do, I guess, if you're playing this card, right? So, yeah, I mean, it definitely reads like a card that could just come down and end a game. I mean, let's talk about a classic Loxodon deck, right? So your Loxodon deck likes to do something like spend the first two or three turns playing a bunch of one mana, you know, creatures. And then, you know, maybe on turn, yeah, three or turn four, you tap them all, you Loxodon, and you have this this strong board, right? And then if 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 then when you on your untapped turn you drop Basri Cat and minus two, it's just gotta be game over, right? Like it's it's just gotta be. So you can you can think about something like that. I think the problem is that you're probably already winning at that point, right? So I don't know that Basri Cat necessarily helps you to win in scenarios you weren't already winning and it certainly doesn't enable the scenario it certainly doesn't build you up into the scenario so uh, yeah there's a very particular window in which basri cat would be good in your deck and i just i don't know if it's versatile enough to to keep it going but like for example and i i the mtg goldfish podcast was talking about this and it was a very good point that one of the best tools against your white weenie deck is going to be something like Deafening Clarion, right? So if your opponent clarions you and your next play is Basri Cat, you're just, you're probably losing that game, right? Basri Cat does nothing to enable your plan at that point. So um, it's very weak. This card's particularly weak to sweepers, I think. Um, no, I, I disagree. Okay, lay it on me. Because I think that what you want to do if you expect sweepers or if sweepers are in the radar is you just play one creature or two at a time and you use the plus one and force the opponent to do something about a small board and you still have Basri Ket. They either have to interact with the Planeswalker and get it off the board or they have to interact with the creature and they don't want to use their sweepers. So they need spot removal and they need to deal with both. And you're also not talking about the three one that gains indestructible like that that sticks to the board. That's, so I that's think, a good point. I, and raise the alarm is instant speed. Um, you can instant speed out or raise the alarm after a sweeper. I think that there's game. I think that the fact, if this were four, I would agree with you. Mm-hmm. At three, it can come down the same turn as or before the sweeper. 
mm-hmm. and it can help set you up. Like you can use it as a setup card, not just to pay off. It plays both ways. Well, and you're right. It certainly makes your raise the alarm a much more relevant spell, right? Because if raise the alarm reads get four one one tokens, like boy, now we're talking, right? So yes, yeah, yeah. It's you know, and and if you activate that minus two more than once in a game, then that's going to be pretty good. So yeah, maybe it gets us there. Let's keep an Honestly, eye on Badger Cat. Between the between raise the alarm, between the three mana three one, and between Bazzari Cat, I'm looking at white and being like. How do you sweep this deck effectively? You don't. Well, you as, don't. Especially there's some other cards in the format which would specifically be pretty excellent in a deck like this that we're, we're going to get to soon. Got a few more cards to cover here before we call it a wrap. Let's talk about this other card, which I don't know, maybe this was intended to play with Basri. Why don't you read Basri's Lieutenant for us, CGB? I, I want to start with the deep insight that a card called Basri's Lieutenant might have been intended to be played with Basri Cat. That is, that's top tier insight. Okay, that's a read. That's a read. <laughs> <laughs> so let me get to the actual reading. Uh, three in a white, Basri's Lieutenant is a creature human knight that is rare. It's a three, four body for four mana. Vigilance, protection from multicolored. When Basri's Lieutenant enters the battlefield, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. That can be itself, just to be clear. So you could have a four mana, four five if you wanted that, or you can put the counter elsewhere. Now, the rest of the text is whenever Basri's Lieutenant or another creature you control dies, if it had a plus one, plus one counter on it, create a two, two white knight creature token with vigilant. What do you think? This, this card has a lot of things going for it. All right, so so here's the first thing. This passes the Teferi test. They can't bounce it with Teferi. If you put the counter on Basri and then they kill it, you get a knight. So it does have to have a counter on it. So I think that Basri's Lieutenant gives you just enough that it doesn't fail the kind of like ETB effect, yada, yada. Now... One of my main questions about whether you play this is just like what deck are you wanting to play like a four mana kind of like mid-rangey creature like this? Because that's kind of my main question. Like I think that a Basri Cat deck wants to go wider than this card is going to go. I think that this card is a decent creature. Protection from multicolored is surprisingly relevant. I, I've been playing a lot of Stone Core Serpent on the ladder Lately, I've been back on my mono green thing, and it's been glorious. And some decks just really cannot deal with that protection for multicolored. So, um, so that's my main question: is just like what deck exactly do we want to put this into? So you said that this doesn't go wide enough, but I disagree with that because you can definitely use the counter to make another creature a threat, and then if that creature dies or you know, something else with a counter already, Venerated Loxodon, hello, then you go wide again. It's like, it's also sweeper protection. As long as you get some counters on things, and remember, Basari Ket, the Planeswalker itself, adds a plus one, plus one counter to target creature and makes it indestructible until end of turn. So distributing counters is a big deal. Um, and this card kind of makes sweepers even more miserable than Basari Ket himself did dude that's a good point cgb let's talk about a curve all right let's say this is a just a very modest curve that you might see in a deck like this all right so let's say you go turn one play a one drop 
Dog, you play a two drop, okay? Turn three, you drop Basri, you give a plus one counter to something. Turn four, you drop Basri's lieutenant, you give a plus one counter to something, all right? And plus the Basri. And then plus the Basri again, right? So you three, have... Three what, plus one plus one counters. Exactly. So what you have is is three creatures on the board that all have a counter on them, right? So if your opponent the next turn plays a Shatter the Sky, they're basically giving you a draw card and you get three tokens, right? So that's just not... That's not doable for them. They're going to lose that game. So that's actually not bad. You're right. This is... It is kind of compelling. Is this the, is this the card that we were hoping the Brood Moth was going to be? No, um, it's a very different card. This this card is much a much more aggressive body. Like if yeah. you have no board, this is a four or five that if it dies, you get a two two with vigilance and protection from multicolored. Yeah. If you have nothing else, and it's a knight and it's a human, those are both types that can matter. Yeah. Like th- this, you can hit this off Winota. For example, um, it gets plus one, plus one from Inspiring Commander. For example, you can find it with Acclaimed Contender. For example, mm, um, cast it with call. Tournament Grounds. Like, yeah. like this, this card fits multiple things. None of those things are what we... It, it's not where we currently see the power in Standard right now. Like, like this card, when you think white aggro or you think green-white good cards or you think knights, is not what we think of as dangerous decks. So people are going to have to get their head around where this is good, but it is good. Like the, this is a lot of text and stuff. It doesn't feel like it belongs in standard as we know it. So I think people are going to have to play with it and just realize how well it works. We keep talking about what if we get swept, you know, this is the classic aggro conundrum. And I really think that these white cards are ready for sweepers. Mm. I think the question sh- we should be asking ourselves is, can we beat a cat oven with these cards? <laughs> Quite yeah. honestly. And uh, I'm I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure yeah. about that. However, cards like this do insulate fairly well against a Mayhem Devil, right? Like putting counters on stuff, getting stuff when, when smaller creatures die, all that kind of stuff um, can really mm-hmm. put the hurt on a card like Mayhem Devil. So... Yeah, I, I, you know, it's compelling. I think that you nailed it, right? The card's definitely strong, and so it's just a matter of if the shell that it fits into exists in standard. But just, you know, this is this is another one of those questing beast-ish cards where, like, your opponent's going to try to interact with it, and there's going to be a lot of, like, oh, snap moments. Like, oh, I forgot that card had that text. Oh, I forgot that it did that. Um, so, yeah white's questing beast i'm 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 putting my stake on it Got right it. now <laughs> okay sweet let's quickly touch on basri's solidarity one white sorcery put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control playable or not good enough i would skip it yeah um i i don't think it's enough even with what we talked about yeah okay i think i'm with you too limited only card probably let's talk about solemn simulacrum the sad robot is back. CGB, take us through this just absolute magic history staple of a card. Solemn Simulacrum is four mana for a 2-2 artifact creature, Golem, at rare. If it enters the battlefield, when it enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a basic land, put it onto the battlefield tap, shuffle your library. When Solemn Simulacrum dies, you may draw a card. This card is throwback. I think it's been reprinted twice 
and it saw play in a Pro Tour Championship deck from Brian Kibler with Primeval Titan when that was in Standard. And it just saw play in all kinds of decks back in a time when value was different from what it is now. When four mana for a 2-2 that got you a card and then another card was pretty top tier. This this card is fine. It might see play, usually probably in like a one of or two of, especially if there's some kind of a ramp deck that's present. But it just doesn't hold up to Uro, to Hydroid Crisis, like these, uh, to Wilderness Reclamation. You know, these these cards are just a bit much for the sad robot, in my opinion. I think that you're right. However, I wouldn't rule out the Simulacrum. So it being colorless is a huge game. This is definitely a card that it does just enough. You know, like like when you combine all the parts of the card, it does just enough to make it a consideration. I definitely think that if you're in a standard format, which is too fast, too aggressive, too big, too whatever, then a card like Solemn Simulacrum might not find a home. But where what one of the sub-themes I'm seeing in this set is this kind of like colorless matters thing. And there are a number of cards such as Ugin. There's some other cards upcoming that we're going to talk about uh, maybe in our next episode, which also enable like a kind of a colorless ramp strategy. And so I'm keeping my eye on this because I just think there's something interesting that they're introducing into the format here. And it doesn't take much for a card like Solemn Simulacrum to all of a sudden be just like a very steady role player in a format. I I keep coming back to Golos. It's probably one of my favorite cards. But one of the underrated things about Golos was being able to just search up a land when you play him. Now, admittedly, Golos gets you any land, which is a heck of a lot better than just a basic land, which is what Solemn gets you. But I don't know. Don't don't underestimate a creature, which is colorless, that can both fix and ramp you and which actually gets you some value when it dies. So I'm definitely going to be keeping my eye on Solemn Simulacrum. Yeah, I think you're right. I just like role players fine. Like I could see this. I, I'm excited about anything that ramps me into Citadel. So <laughs> I could see this in like Jund, you know, cat food. You know, why not? Why not? Like, you know, why not? And, you and can... I'm sure it will get played in Saltai ramp. So you can ramp into casualties of war. I just think it's a very, it's a decent glue card. That's just kind of medium. Which is still better than 99% of cards in standard, by the you, way. You just gave me a thought here. So Casualties of War doesn't specify that the artifact needs to be the opponent's artifact, does it? No. Are you going to shoot your own Solemn I Simulacrum mean, to draw a card off your Casualties of War? you put Cast Casualties of War, draw a card as one of the modes. That's not bad, right? <laughs> Turn five casualties. They have to kill it. No, no, they have to kill it anyways. Never do this. If you're listening, don't listen to this man. Stop. He's going crazy. I I think that we've got potential on our hands, chat. I'm going to try this at least once and see how I feel about it. (laughs) All right. Let's see. What what do we have coming? Oh, I wanted to talk about this one. Angelic Ascension. One white instant. Exile target creature or planeswalker. Its controller creates a 4-4 white angel creature token with flying. This card has possibilities, CGB. For one and a white, what are you going to do with this card? 
I mean, okay. Here are a number of things that you could do in response to removal. You cast this card and you blank your opponent's removal spell and give yourself a four-four flying creature token. That's pretty amazing. Exhibit B. At the end of your opponent's turn, you cash in your one loyalty planeswalker for a threat. This could be any creature, right? So it could be a token. For example, let's say you're in a black-white deck and you are running Woe Strider. All right, you have a Woe Strider. It makes a goat, right? At the end of your opponent's turn, you turn your goat into a 4-4 flying creature. Pretty good. And then if, you know, if your opponent resolves like a must-answer planes, like let's say your opponent resolves like Chandra 6, and you're just like, oh my god, I'm going to lose to that card. You can actually example. I never lose to that card. Uh, okay i mean you know you and i play different standards how about nissa nissa like okay it's not ideal right you'd rather just kill nissa but sure i mean but like let's say you're playing a bant deck right maybe you you know if you don't have the elspeth conquers death how else are you dealing with nissa so i don't know i just there's options right like your bant deck can easily and an exile is important, right? So let's say you exile your opponent's Nissa end of their turn, you bounce the token with your Teferi next turn. Common play pattern, fine transaction, you dealt with your opponent's Planeswalker. I don't know, this card seems pretty All right, good to me. Ne- next step, we're taking it to the next level. Okay. The, the following turn after this brilliant play, your Teferi drew you another Angelic Ascension. Yeah. Your opponent takes their 3-3 land. They attack your Teferi, which has one loyalty. Oh, baby. You exile your Teferi because it's exile target creature or planeswalker. Yeah. You make a 4-4 white angel token. You block and eat the land. It's glorious. They didn't know their land was going to die when it attacked Teferi. It's No, glorious. I mean, that's the, the idea of attacking a planeswalker to get it off the board only to have that planeswalker turn into a 4-4 flyer that could block if you chose to or just attack <laughs> is kind of sick. It's kind like, of genius. Like you could die attacking that planeswalker. You didn't even know it was coming. You didn't even know. Okay, CGB, how good is a 2-2 flash 4-4 flying? At, like how, how good of a card is that? Did you say a 2-2 two, two flash? I mean, sorry, four, sorry, four, a 4-4 four, four flash 2-mana flyer. I mean, that's broken, obviously. Yeah. So the, the trick is, are we giving up something that was going to die anyway, or are we investing another card into it? And yeah. I, I, it all works, like what we talked about. It all works. It checks like, out, the, man. There's a lot of possibilities for this card. It's freaking sweet. It, it's a sweet card. Like I just love, like, you cash in your Teferi, at one token, you get an angel. Like, that sounds sweet to me. You know, you cash in. It just, it's, it's, I like it. I mean, I'm going to run it in the deck we already talked about, the, the white aggro deck. I'm sure. just, I'm just going to have this there so that I can raise the alarm. And then when the opponent like tries to do something about my creatures, I just turn one of them into a four, four angel and smash them. Or if they play a creature like, um, like that tries to mess with me or has lifelink or something that I can't get around, I'm just going to turn it into an angel. Yeah. And just remember, this is this doesn't say anything about tokens, all right? In any deck that's just spitting out tokens left or right, this is essentially exactly what I said, which is just a two-mana 4-4 four, four flash flyer. So I, I don't know. That just seems too good to not show up somewhere. Yeah, it's great. Great card. 
Okay, sweet. Let's talk about Cultivate because Ramp is just never going to die and we're always going to have to deal with it. And here you go. So uh, why don't you read Cultivate for us? Two in a green. Sorcery. Search your library for up to two basic lands. Reveal them. Put one onto the battlefield tapped, the other into your hand. Shuffle your library. All right, so... We have a number of not just playable, but actually excellent and arguably busted ramp spells that we are already dealing with in our standard format. How do you think that this one lines up? It's not Uru. It's not Oro, for sure. It's, not, it's honestly, Llanowar Visionary is probably better. Really? I, I mean, in some builds, not in every build. Um, anything that takes advantage of a body somehow. Like, if you run Teferi Time Raveler in your deck, Llanowar Visionary is better. You can bounce it and, like, draw another card or something if, if you're, stu- if, if you need something to do, you know. Um, but, I mean, Cultivate's fine. I wouldn't be, like, one or two Zoltai Ramp deck or something. So, all right. So, this is what I'm thinking. So Cultivate is like Oro, except it gets you two guaranteed land drops, right? So it does the Oro thing, and it basically guarantees that the card that you draw off of Oro is a, is a basic land of your choice. So I think the question is, you know, well, I mean, A of all, if you're playing a deck that doesn't have access to blue mana, then Cultivate might be your best bet. So that's the first thing to talk about there. But the second thing is, sometimes you keep a three lander with Oro and you don't draw extra lands. And on that turn, you cast Oro. You're like, if I don't draw a land here, I probably lose the game. I I mean, if you're not playing enough lands in your deck, you have this problem. Oh, I mean, nonsense. I I could put like 30 30 yet. You don't run 30 land yet? I could put 35 lands in my arena, in my 60 card arena deck and still like get two landers that don't get there, man. I mean, I've, I've seen things, you know? So what Cultivate says is no, when you cast your Oro, not only are you guaranteed to get that, that land and it's not even coming from your hand, mind you, it's coming from your deck onto the battlefield but you're also getting another guaranteed card in your hand for next turn. So Cultivate has a number of guarantees that Oro does not, and I think that makes it a pretty strong card. For the cowards. For the the cowards. Okay, okay, here's the thing about Cultivate, right? This card, I think, was going to see a lot of play, and then they banned Fires of Invention. Yeah, that's a good point. Like... This with fires would have been freaking sweet for any deck that ran green and red, you know, teamer, teamer fires or uh, four color fires like freaking good. I think so. Here's the thing. If Oro's actually part of your like end game plan, then Oro's going to be better than this card. Right. But if you have an end game plan in mind, which is more something like guaranteeing that you're able to cast your Ugin, the spirit dragon. Or, you know, some, if, if you just have a very, very different endgame in mind than casting Oro from your graveyard a million times, then just the guarantee of Cultivate is pretty hard to give up on. Let me ask you this. Which card do you think is better, Cultivate or Migration Path? It's a good question, but the answer is Migration Path. And is that just because of the cycling or is it because it puts both lands no. onto the battlefield? It's both. See, I don't know, though. Like, I don't it's know. also the right spot on the curve. It's really easy to ramp on two if you really want to hit more ramp, right? 
and get to migration path. Like ramp on two, you have growth spiral, you have haven, you have paradise road, you have all these options. Ramp on three and ramp on two are dramatically different. By turn three, you're potentially facing a steamkin with like four counters on it that spit out a whole hand of stuff. You're you're facing an active priest of the forgotten gods, you know? One mana is huge in this format. Yeah, but I think it depends on your curve, right? So if your deck is playing Arboreal Grazers and Gilded Geese, then Cultivate is big game, right? I mean, if you're running, yeah, if you're running like Simic Mutate or something, but then you want the Mutate cards. I I just, I, I think that we've kind of got these options already. I don't think Cultivate is changing anything about what you can do in the format, and I think for that reason, the fact that a lot of people aren't doing this style of stuff is like migration path sees minimal play. You know, I, I just don't think this is it. I'm I'm curious. I'm definitely going to be trying it. It might just be nostalgia. I've always known Cultivate to be a very, very strong card. You raise excellent points. I mean, Growth Spiral is a busted card. Aura is a busted card. So you're not wrong there. But, you know, I think Cultivate, especially if you look at your curve, and especially if you if you really need to guarantee those lands, then uh, Cultivate can definitely be a role player, so keep an eye on it. Is there anything else before we reach the end of Monday's spoilers that you are interested in talking about? Archfiend's Vessel might be busted. Okay, take us through that one. It's one black for a human cleric uncommon with lifelink. It's a 1-1 one, one when Archfiend's Vessel enters the battlefield if it entered from a graveyard or you cast it from graveyard exile it if you do make a five five black demon creature token with flying so first of all sacrificing stuff getting this in the graveyard easy peasy like there's no reason not to we have the one black sacrifice a creature draw to we have priests of the forgotten gods we have witches oven like just having a body to sacrifice has value that Probably more value than it's ever had before in standard. I don't think one mana one ones have ever been this good just because you can turn them into more cards and more effects so easily. But the idea that when it enters from the graveyard, you can have a 5-5 demon token just to put out a few ideas. Uh, Call the Death Dweller. You even get another two drop with it, like Priest of the Forgotten Gods or Dreadhorde Butcher and a 5-5 demon. (laughs) That's nasty. Burris. Like, you can just play this off Luris. Like, I mean, and that's all it that's all it takes, right? Yeah. If you just have Luris in your deck, you can play this and ta-da. But, um, I mean, that's just two, that's two examples. I think that they're both very playable. They're cards that already see significant play. Yeah. So, uh, would you rather have a 5-5 demon? Yeah, you probably would. Uh, if the opponent has Teferi, is it a feels bad? Yeah, but... Like you still have yeah. in that in that scenario, you still have a Luris. You still yeah. have a Dreadhorde Butcher that yeah. you got with Call the Death Dweller. Like, Worth it. like this is a very low cost five five freaking flyer. Yeah, I mean, if this card said sorcery one black, create a five five black flyer creature token, right? Like you'd play that even if you were playing against the Teferi deck because it's just a freaking amazing rate, right? So. I, I totally agree with you. And, I mean, there's always going to be ways to get stuff out of the graveyard. I mean, we might have more of them in this set. We're going to have more of them in future sets. So, yeah, this is this is going to be a house, I think. I, I think, like, cards like this and Angelic Ascension, like, there are going to be some very cheap, strong flying tokens on the battlefield, and you're going to have to keep an eye out for them. So, 
yeah, so I would be surprised if this didn't show up somewhere. All right, I think that's going to wrap it up for the spoilers. And so uh, CGB have put our heads together. We've decided that we really enjoy having in-depth discussions about these spoilers. And so as a result of that, we're going to release some more episodes throughout the week um, as we continue to go through these. So that's just bonus content that you guys get to enjoy. So keep an eye out. We'll be publishing at least one more bonus episode this week. And who knows, maybe, maybe more. We're going to wrap it up for today. So you can find ArenaCraft podcast by just searching for it just about everywhere. ArenaCraft pod on Twitter, ArenaCraft podcast on Twitch. You can join the Discord server following the link in the show notes. Covert Go Blue just reached 69,000 subscribers on his YouTube channel. So that's a big congratulations for the CGB. Um, nice. So you can find him at YouTube Covert Go Blue. He also streams on Twitch, and that's uh, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Did I get it right? Monday through Thursday. Thursday. Okay, Monday through Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern. He. Uh, it's always a fun stream. So go check him out for sure. Thanks so much for joining us, and we will catch you soon. Bye. Bye.